You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Lowcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks. I'm Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who, if he returned in the Star Wars galaxy, he would be the lower half of Darth Maul. Mark, how are you doing? I'd like to think that's the non-crazy part of Darth Maul. It's, it's the party part, but yes, I take your point. Absolutely. It's a major part. Yes, let, let's stop using the word parts when we're talking about Darth Maul's lower bits. <laughs> How have you been? I'm good, my friend. Yes, very well, thank you. What's new with you? Not a lot. It's been a busy week. I mean, the site's been rocking this week. We've had yeah. so much content. It's crazy for February. You don't generally expect so much news, but it's been really, really busy. Thank you, Empire Magazine, I think. Very much. You could almost imagine like Fan for Tracks is like those little fishy that kind of float around in front of like a, a whale or maybe a, a shark. It yes. just kind of picks off the little bits from her teeth and stuff and cleans it all up. <laughs> the, bo- the bottom feeders of Star Wars news. Hi, this is Gareth Edwards, director of the best standalone Star Wars film since Caravan of Courage called Rogue One. You're listening to Panther Tracks. Enjoy. Star Wars fandom in the UK lost uh, a big figure last week, Craig Spivey, who's been a part of Generation Skywalker. He's a known collector of helix and vintage star wars original era collections passed away he was only 53 Uh, i've known him for a good long while we used to meet up at memorabilia back in the day he's the guy that got me the ticket to the after party at force awakens so he knew i was never able to thank him enough for that such a great guy everyone who knew and respected him so a a massive loss to the star wars scene so just wanted to to mention his passing because you know to people that knew him and that met him you know, he's one of those guys that you won't soon forget. Did you ever have any encounters with Craig over the years? Yeah, I, I chatted to him online and I think I met him once or twice. But it's it's sad. And obviously our thoughts went out to Craig's family and, and also all the guys over at Generation Skywalker. And also, of course, in the Star Wars galaxy, Carl Weathers passed away. We've not had a chance to speak about that since our last regular episode. Incredible. That came out completely out of the blue. Yeah. I mean, he was well into his 70s, but always looked the picture of health and fitness and a commanding character, not only... Grief Karga, but also behind the camera on a couple of episodes of Mando. As we sort of move further down the line of, of Star Wars, moving towards the big screen return of Mando, you kind of think that Grief oh, and Carl would have been a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Would have expected or would have hoped. And it is such a thing, a big uh, shock and loss, because, you know, whenever we saw him at like Celebration, he just had such vigour. It's been interesting just watching on uh, Instagram, like people, thoughts and mem- memories, but like big hitters, you know, Sly Stone and Dolph Lundgren and Arnold Schwarzenegger all coming out and talking about how Carl was just such a, an amazing character. Whilst he's made a big impact on Star's galaxy, we could have still ha- even had even more from him, which is, again, I think the biggest loss is the fact you just don't know how much more interesting stories and adventures we could have had with his character. Absolutely. Apollo Creed, obviously, in Rocky, but not only that, he was in Predator, been in lots of stuff, and just a character, the person that people were highly respectful of. As you say, the Star Wars galaxy came out and paid their respects. The, the one that stuck out to me was was what John Favreau said, by saying, I'm heartbroken by this devastating loss. 
he was a hero from my childhood who was lucky enough to meet and then had the amazing good fortune to work with. He had the energy and curiosity of a young man paired with the wisdom that his rich life and career afforded him. My heart goes out to his family and countless admirers. So you can't really say more than that. And you mentioned yeah. Stallone. Stallone put a video out very, very soon after and was clearly shook when he recorded yeah. it. Such a, such a terrible shame. And as you say, he was 76. So surprisingly, I think it caught us all on the hop. So terribly sad news. Hello, I'm Dennis Lawson, and you're listening to Fanthatrax. So there'd been speculation for months that Pedro Pascal would be cast to play Reed Richards in Marvel's Fantastic Four movie, which is out 25th of July next year. And weirdly, that has been confirmed. The Hollywood Reporter confirmed that he will indeed play Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four, and he's co-starring alongside Eben Mossbachrach, who was Arvel Skeen in Star Wars Andor. So there's two Star Wars guys in there. Vanessa Kirby is playing Sue Storm, and Joseph Quinn from Stranger Things is in there as Johnny Storm. So very strong cast indeed. They haven't started filming yet, as far as we know, although they film a lot of these things in front of volumes and green screens, so they may have got half a bit shot already, for all we know. But it's out July next year. It isn't that far away. We've got Grogu and the Mandalorian, or whatever they end up calling it, coming out the following year. So you think they're going to have to start working on that fairly soon. What effect, if any, do you think that this casting of Pedro as Reed Richards will have on the Star Wars galaxy, what happens in the Mandalorian movie? And of course, we've just mentioned Carl Weathers passing. There's a potential knock-on, if that's the right phrase, effect of his passing, because you would imagine that Grief Cargo would have been involved in a Mando film if he'd have been around. How do you think this is going to change things? So that all depends, doesn't it? I mean, I was listening to a, or I watched a video clip that I think Emily Swallow put out this week from Instagram when she was on another podcast. And she basically said there's like three different people who create Din Jaren. And she basically said at that point, Pedro Pascal at the moment is just doing the voice. And then you've got Brandon Wayne and the other chap doing the, the body and stunts and stuff. And so in that case, if that is what they decide to do with this film and any subsequent future Mandalorian series, he probably doesn't need to be around too much. And actually, if it's just voiceover, then it can be done wherever he is. It, because he's, uh, if it's Marvel, they could be doing the sound for and the ADR for that at Skywalker Sound. So it could actually be like, can you nip from voiceover booth two into uh, number four to record uh, for <laughs> Mando and Grogu? Yeah. It could, it could literally have no impact. Or it could do. It all depends. I suppose it depends on what they're going to do and where they're going to take it and where negotiations go. Because on one hand, you've got, a man who's going to be front and center and his face of a character in Fantastic Four. And then you've got Mandalorian and Grogu, where it's it's a character. And probably between the two, Grogu is going to get even bigger share of the limelight, I think, than maybe Mandalorian in a lot of the marketing. I'm still looking forward to seeing those uh, press junkets and EPKs where they have to animate Grogu. Uh, That's you know, a good shout. And get, get him to answer some questions. That would be fun. We leave. Mando and Grogu on Navarro. Yeah. Griff Carga is still there, the mayor or the chancellor or whatever. I can't remember what elevated position he kind of granted himself by the end of season three. There might have to be some kind of reconciliation of what's happening there, be it a, a, a nice nod. Maybe there's another statue next to IG-11 in the town square. That's a good shout, actually. The statue idea is good because that's what they did with Marcus Brody in Crystal Skull, isn't it? They just had yes. that little nod where you saw the statue and they, they had that quite low-hearted bit where the head fell off the statue and they made a nice play of it. It wasn't too on the nose. But yeah, yeah. it's a great point that, that he is still on Navarro and Grief is the guy that's given him the land and built the little hut. So that will, as you say, need addressing. And I just think going back to Emily Swallow's point about Brendan and Latif mm. Crowther and now obviously Pedro doing the voice, 
that had been the situation, the status from, from the first season, which, let's not kid ourselves, was probably the case. Pedro was probably only on set for those scenes where the helmet was off and the rest of it, it's probably very much been like that for a significant portion of it anyway. Yeah. Doesn't it feel to you a bit like Dave Prowse in the suit, James Earl Jones doing the voice, who gets the credit? You know, they kind of share the credit and, and Brendan doesn't, and the teeth don't really get as much credit because we're in an internet world and of course Pedro Pascal is the internet's daddy I'm waggling the air quotes and so all this sort of stuff gets traction and and people get silly hyper about things but really like with most Star Wars characters if you take Darth Vader as the greatest example how many actors have been a part of creating the character of Anakin stroke Darth Vader doesn't absolutely even I mean another good example of that is uh, our dear friend and uh, honorary member Anthony Daniels you think about all the publicity back, really up until Empire Strikes Back, it was, oh, no, 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 there, there isn't an actor playing this. C-3PO is just C-3PO. But then, and what again, a different world it would have been if somebody had, if, if yeah. George had have done what he wanted to do, but it had been another actor voicing him instead of it being Anthony. Exactly. But it'll be interesting because uh, Brandon Wayne is meant to be signing with Emily Swallow at MCM London. So it'll be interesting if he starts writing Brandon Wayne is Din Jaron. And I suppose it all comes down to how it was all kind of pitched to Pedro in the first place. Like, well, you're going to get this one scene or something at the end of, of a season where you're going to have your helmet off. But the rest of it, you're just the voice as such. And it seems like his involvement has diminished over time. That's the perception, that, isn't it? Did he do much press for season three? If anything? He did. He did. I mean, yeah. to be fair, when they when they launched season three, that was, a, that was my next point, actually. When they launched yeah. season three, it was very much him and Katie Sackhoff. And it feels like, I'm saying Filoni and Favreau, but obviously there's other people involved in these decision-making processes. But it felt like Pedro, of course, is the marquee name and Katie as the character of Okatan, who's stepped up in in importance, certainly in season three, were very much the two front and centre. So he did do that, but I suppose not the biggest investment, certainly not the investment you'd expect from somebody who would normally be on set for all of it, but was clearly not on set for much of it. I mean, I suppose there could just be some scheduling conflicts, but I suppose it all depends on what they they plan to do and with both films and when the release dates are. As you said, promotion for one film will roll into the other. So we could end up with like a three-month period of just seeing nothing but Pedro Pascal and all the US chat shows and uh, podcasts and stuff. I think Fantastic Four is July next year and Mando and Grogu is May the year after. I think they basically said there's two slots in 26, December and May, and Mando's the next film. So logically, Mando would be the May film. In terms of of what they do then, I mean, with Carl, as you say, there's lots of uh, respectful, subtle ways of either relocating the character to somewhere else. It's a huge galaxy, so he could easily just pitch up and move. They never explain what happened to, for example, Cara Dune. Totally different reasons for not mentioning grief and Carl's character. There's plenty of logical options, though, in that sense, isn't there, to, to move it on? Oh, quite apart from the fact that the story might be set years after season three. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We don't know when it's going to be set. The supporting characters in The Mandalorian could come and go. And, you know, if one didn't even sign back on for a season, you know, everything's easily explained with uh, just a, yeah. a quick line and stuff. But do you know what? It, these kind of things generally come down to how the talent is also perceived behind the camera with the crew and the cast and stuff yeah. and so you kind of go okay we're going to leave the Gina Carano stuff because that's quite inflammatory and we don't want to do anything but with Carl Weathers and that he seems like he was very well liked he was by the fans so you think they would probably like to do some kind of little payoff or homage to him and some description I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson and you are following Fanthatrax
25 years ago, The Phantom Menace, it hadn't quite come out yet, but we were waiting for it with bated breath. And Hugh McGregor speaking recently about that era mentioned that he wasn't quite ready for the film to be, in his own words, hammered. I don't think he means drunk. I think he means battered by the critics. Here's his quote in full. He said, it wasn't a done deal for me. I didn't think it was at all who I was. He's on about playing the role of Obi-Wan. I believed at that point I was a Danny Boyle actor. The beach was more important, and I meant it. It wasn't flippant. I did ask a lot of people for advice. I'm happy that I am this character for a lot of people, but when these films came out, they were so disliked. That was hard. The first one was panned, and we still had to make another two. It was weird to be in a film that was hammered. Now, we put this out on Fanta, loads of interaction on socials, got everybody talking about it, and it's very relevant because it's the 25th anniversary of Phantom Menace. But, Mark, we've talked about this before, the recollections of that era of how when that film came out, it was so panned, it was so not what people were expecting because not everybody was going to be happy. But looking back at Ewan's words there and thinking back to the time when the film came out, and especially that gap between Phantom and Clones, which was quite a fractious time online, certainly, do you get where he's coming from? If you're an actor and you're in a film that you're expecting to be the next Star Wars, if that makes any sense, you know, the big over-the-board hit, and all of a sudden you're in a film that's getting ridiculed, Jar Jar was ridiculed, Paul Jake was ridiculed, the film got bashed. What you and he's saying, it does make sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. For him, you know, because Uncle Dennis was an original. He grew up on Star Wars, and so he was very much kind of be aware of the hype. And I'm sure when Buzz started hitting around the industry that, you know, Lucas is making a new Star Wars film and what have you, you could imagine as an actor who's on the up and getting off of that role to think, sweet, this is going to be it. This is going to be massive. And then when it doesn't, you can like, ah, probably come down. That. I think of everything, you kind of almost assume it. And we kind of talk about it just in the box office numbers. You just assume that Star Wars will always do well. But the thing is, I guess you realise that Star Wars is made up of many different parts. And it's not Ewan himself got panned for his role because Ewan was great yeah. from day one. For a lot of people, it's the strongest part of the prequels. So I guess you just realise then it's not much things you can do about CG characters or child actors who are in the biggest, most anticipated film of the 20th century. Yeah, very true. But I also wonder how quickly those thoughts and stuff start to seep in. Is it when you're at the premiere or is it three or four weeks time when you start hearing people on the street and references on, you know, chat shows and that start coming in? That Interesting position to be in, isn't it? It feels different in the sense that when Phantom came out, like you just said, you, you could happily easily say most anticipated film of the century in the last year of the century, essentially. And the next yeah. film that comes out that I would say had anything like that anticipation, there's two I can think of. There's the final Potter film, Deathly Hallows, and there's Endgame. And both did crazy money, both did well over a billion and almost universally loved. But Phantom, you could say, when you look at it, was such a bold stroke for Lucas to do something so different that you could understand people not getting it. It's only the benefit of time, really. Yeah. And Star Wars is one of the rare franchises in that that long game, that gestation period, you know, living with it for a good long while has benefits for prior episodes. So when you get to episode two, and it's always stuck on my head when 
Ewan was in Moulin Rouge. He's already filmed Clones, obviously, and he's yeah. in the at the premiere for Moulin Rouge, and he stood next to uh, Nicole Kidman, and somebody comes along and says, hey, Ewan, have you heard the title of the new Star Wars film, episode two? It's called Attack of the Clones, and he nearly wets himself laughing because he thinks it's the crappiest title ever. Now, if he'd had the best experience on Phantom Menace, and everybody was kissing his butt, and it made a trillion dollars, and there was no recourse, he would have no doubt gone, wow, cool, what a great title. I'm so excited, and here we go. But because that reticence had seeped in and because the discourse, waggling the air quotes, was so negative around Star Wars at that point. And don't forget, Phantom, when it came out, this is totally from memory, I think did about 930 million worldwide. Clones did about 630. The first Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, took more money than Attack of the Clones. It was the first Star Wars film not to end the year as the number one movie. So whilst 600 million on a 120 million budget is still insanely profitable there's no question there's no issues they were making money hand over fist it cost less than phantom but it wasn't as much as they would have hoped and by the time we get to revenge of the sith i think everybody working on the film the anticipation has had time to level back up phantom is changing the the online experience is changing you've got hyperspace you've got the star wars blogs there's just different things you can do because the tech is moving ahead i remember bonnie burton giving me the wristband at celebration it was now the circle is now complete the whole thing this is it guys Mm. you need to enjoy this because there ain't any more we're done after this you know there might be tv which of course wasn't that far down the pipe. We might do a TV show because they were talking about Underworld and the Boba Fett TV show and stuff. George mentioned on stage at Celebration 3 that we might do a Knights of the Old Republic film. So there was kind of talk of maybe, possibly, but nothing concrete. This is it. Enjoy it because you ain't getting this again. And so people went into Episode 3 much more eager, much more willing to enjoy, and it was a fantastic film. So it just strikes me that that Phantom Menace period must have, as as Ewan says here, and he's talking back 25 years, must have really knocked him. Yeah, I think it must have done. I mean, that clip from the premiere gets played over and over again. And, yeah. you know, it's, you kind of think maybe with a little bit of notice and that he might have possibly have responded yeah. with slightly better on message. That's a, that's a raw, unfiltered yeah. response. Yeah. So you so you have to kind of like go, fair enough, actually. I mean, if he, like I said, turn around and oh, that's fantastic. That's the best title ever. Then he'd be like, okay, well done, you. At least you're yeah. a company man. <laughs> you drank all the Kool-Aid. Well done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like certain films get reappraised over over time. Prequels have, you know, I'm, I'm still expecting the, the sequel trilogy to when basically the new films come out when the new ray film comes out and the new mandalorian film comes out and everybody hates it because it's just whatever and we're like oh we wish it was like <laughs> like yeah. the sequel trilogy yeah that just seems to be how how we are these days <laughs> for everything in one location daily news reviews interviews podcasts video and social media feeds bookmark fathatracks.com for star wars news 24 7 365 So the last time we saw, in a chronological sense, Samuel L. Jackson's Mace Window, he was being thrown out of a window into the Coruscant traffic after Emperor Palpatine used his unlimited power to weaken him enough to the point where Anakin could chop his hand off and out the window we went and we never saw him again. But because he's an eternal optimist, Samuel L. Jackson is convinced that Mace Window is still alive. We didn't see him splat on the Coruscant streets. He could still be around. He is the second greatest Jedi after all, after Yoda. And speaking to Empire Magazine, which, as Mark mentioned earlier, is absolutely packed with Star Wars stuff this month, he does say very clearly he's not dead. And if he was ever asked to come back in a Mace Windu series, he responded, 
everything, yes. He would do it. Doesn't mean he's not dead. We didn't see him die. So, Mark, do you think they should pursue the option of bringing Mace Windu back as either an ally or an adversary, which I think would be more interesting? Oh, that would be cool. You know, we mentioned, I think, in the Ray film, there's a potential, or maybe even earlier in the Mando stuff. What would you like to see? To be honest, I would like to see him come back. We've just watched Ahsoka, and Sabine gets a lightsaber through the gut 25 years ago. That slains a Jedi Master. A mere couple of thousand volts and one of four limbs getting cut off and being thrown out the window, that's nothing. And, no. and you'd like to think the second strongest Jedi Master in the entire Jedi Council should be able to handle a, a little bit of uh, limb loss anyway. This day and age, you can't discount it. I would be up for it. And I tell you what, I would be up for it as well for seeing Mace Windu coming back in the Ray film, pretty much like Luke Skywalker from Last Jedi. Time for the Jedi to end. And given his opinion and his opposition as to why the Jedi need to cease. From an even more valid perspective, because he was around for all of it, wasn't he? He was there for the fall of the Jedi. He was there for all Absolutely. the yeah, well, he would have been, what, 50, give or take at the beginning of maybe Phantom? You He's 75 know. now, so yeah, he would have been yeah, 50. Yeah. About 50, so there you go. So in that case, you can go, he's seen maybe the outcome of what happened in the Acolyte, potentially. Yeah. Anything after that. Relatively recent history. It's like us thinking about the Second World War, isn't it? It's relatively yeah, exactly. recent. exactly. And it would be interesting because then it means that you don't have to then maybe drag out Mark Hamill again. We've had that opposition from Luke. So, you know, maybe somebody like Mace Windu would be even more interesting because actually yeah. it's probably not as quite a polarizing character to do that to. He seems to be up for doing for, for doing his roles. I mean, he good stint on Secret Invasion and all that. And he's still firmly entrenched in MCU, which means that potentially we could have a, a Mace Windu film and then a Mace Windu Disney Plus series. To my recollection, as I used to read it back in the day in Legends, to see a Force ghost, you needed some interaction in the real world with that Force ghost. If Leia had have turned and seen what Luke saw when he looked at Anakin and Ben and Yoda, I don't remember Leia meeting Yoda, and I don't remember Leia meeting Anakin. She met Vader, but that wasn't Vader, that was Anakin. So so maybe she wouldn't see them. But of course, now we know from the, the events of Obi-Wan Kenobi, she would have seen Ben. So yeah. if she'd have looked, she would have only seen Ben. That's my head cannon. That's, that's my head logic. I don't know if that's how it works now, because as you just mentioned, lightsabers used to be baseball bats, and now they're tickling sticks. So, so the level of of you know, if you got hit yeah. with a lightsaber at one point, you were done, or you yeah. were losing bits, or you were done. They're the most devastating weapon you can imagine, but now they're really not. That's what lightsabers feel like at the moment, and they need to rectify that pretty quickly, in my mind. Point being. If they do bring Mace back, you've got his knowledge of what to him would be relatively recent history playing off the Acolyte and what we see in the events of that and how the Jedi at the time of... We've got John Jackson Miller's got The Living Force coming out soon. I've just started reading it. And at that point, the Council are very much consumed with the events and the actions and what's happening with the Republic rather Mm -hmm. than their own stuff. So they seem more focused on the Republic than they probably should be. It's pre-Phantom Menace, which really ties in nicely to Phantom because they're blindsided. You really see it by Sith. So once you get to Revenge of the Sith, Mace has kind of figured it out. He's got to be the first guy that goes because he knows. He knows what Palpatine is. He knows that Anakin's turning. He's never really trusted him. They're not seeing the Force as they should. He says it in the... In the lap, doesn't he, when they're flying mm-hmm. from place to place, that they're not seeing the forces they should. So if he came back, 
in a different way to Luke, of course, we as an audience have that emotional connection to Luke. The characters in Star Wars and within that realm, Mace has seen so much of it. And if we've, if yeah. we've not seen him at all since Revenge of the Sith, but, you know, if he crawls away and he heals, and like you say, he's no Ray. If he knows enough about galactic history at this point, you, you assume he would know something of it. Luke Skywalker told you, don't do it. And it kind of worked out okay. But this Academy idea is a bad idea. Don't do yeah. it. Don't do it. I'm not saying that's the storyline, but if you had a character like him come along and say stuff like this, it holds so much more weight, doesn't it? It brings about like an interesting cyclical aspect. So that's that. And it, it might be quite nice even for him to kind of be shrouded in mystery a little bit, bit of a reveal, build it up, build it yeah. up, you know, make it two parts. Do you think then, because there has been big pushback online from people saying, no, it's stupid, you know, and, and, and people conflating people's ages on Earth with Star Wars ages. I mean, to me, if. Han, Luke, and Leia live to be 150. That doesn't seem silly to me. They're not human beings like we're human beings. They're Star Wars human beings. They're different. They've got yeah. different health facilities. They've got different medicines. They've got different this, that, and the others. There's loads of things that means that if you get to 80 on Earth, you're having a good knock, aren't you? But if you're in the Star Wars galaxy, you would imagine characters living far beyond that, maybe not way out in the outer rim, of course. If you're living on Tatooine, you're scrabbling for an, or Jakku, you're scrabbling for an existence. That's different. It's a hard life. That's not the same. Yeah. But if you're living further in the interior and you've got us here in England, with the UK, we've got the NHS. We're very, mm-hmm. very lucky. Not everywhere on earth has an NHS. No. So we have access to a system that means that really, if, if the system works and we use it properly, we should extend our life. Because if yeah. we follow the advice we're given, and we you know, and so many of us don't, says the guy that lives on blooming chocolate, you know, but if we if we extend our lives because of that system, the yeah, system yeah. works, doesn't it? If you're yeah. living out in the wilds of wherever in the galaxy or or here on earth, that. you don't yeah. have that. So so you can understand the differences. But if Mace turned up and they do the numbers, so okay, let's say scroll sixty five at Revenge of the Sith, let's say, and then it's thirty years, no, twenty years to Star Wars. So that's what's that? That's 85, 90 at the end of Jedi. We're 10 years past that to the Mando era. So call him 100 at the time of the Mando era. Yeah. And this is another 20 years to Force Awakens. So that's 120. And this is 15 years on after Rise of Skywalker. So it's going to be 135. Let's say that's the number, 135. Yeah. Why not? One thing we've never really beyond, I think maybe discussing it with respect to say like the Sith, but we don't know just how symbiotic things are with medichlorians and whether or not if you're super highly concentrated in medichlorians i.e yoda and anakin and, and mace whether or not that does kind of give you slightly extra longevity for me that was always in my own head can one explanation why you only see one of yodas is because yeah. it's not like his whole uh, species lived for like 900 years it's just because he's so strong in the force it's kind of like the force that is almost by his 900th year it's a force that is keeping him going so sustaining him in a more natural way than embodying himself with say dark side power like i always felt palpatine did really because i i mean i always got the impression that palpatine was like hundreds of years old before phantom menace and that came out that was like how it was in my my head rotting him wasn't it it was decaying him from the inside and again it's kind of same with the empire I always fought and this was actually the irony um when i went into really into the phantom menace and kind of started to put things into timeline kind of go oh well yeah of course yeah the, the empire's not been around for that long but it kind of felt like to yeah. like a, a 10 or 11 year old when you when i first started watching it but actually yeah the empire had been there for like two or three hundred years plus yeah. and yeah, we shouldn't necessarily need to be quite so linear and quite so constrained to what happens on our little 
dirtball of a planet to dictate to us how things should be in the galaxy far, far away. Hi, this is Ethan Sachs, and you're listening to Tracks. So to wrap up, what is, and we haven't mentioned this, our 300th episode of Making Tracks, <laughs> which is unbelievable. I can't believe yeah. it's 300 episodes. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you, Mark, for being a wonderful co-host, and to Dave for being co-host for the first few episodes. It's from our perennial question asker, Skyhawker, and it's a good one, very topical, given what we've been talking about today. Hi, guys. It's been recently announced that The Phantom Menace will soon have a cinema re-release to celebrate the 25th anniversary. Considering this film isn't most people's favourite, had very mixed reviews on its original release, and can be watched right now on Disney+, Plus. do you think there will be enough interest for this to be worthwhile? Cheers, Skyhawker. So, perfectly timed question. Very good points within it. Flips to you, Mark. Do you think there'll be enough interest? They've not really said how long this engagement is for. They say it's coming on May the 3rd, yep. the, the day before May the 4th, of course. It's a Friday. So you'd like to think it'll run for that weekend. Weekend, at least, yeah. We don't know whether it's anywhere outside the States yet. If it's been announced, please let us know. I've not seen anything. I've tried to find out from Disney if we're getting a UK release, and there's been no reply yet. So I don't know whether it's being organised, whether it's been decided or not. I know when Jedi came out last year for the 40th, a lot of UK cinemas ran Jedi, and yeah. you had that beautiful Matt Ferguson poster who's done the poster for Phantom this time, Sheffield-based artist. Hopefully we'll be speaking to him soon on the show. But back to my long-winded question, do you think there's enough interest for Phantom Menace to warrant a cinema re-release? Wow, it doesn't need so much interest or not, really. If they're like considering having a being in cinema for a month, then yes, potentially they need, they need to have worked out whether or not there's going to be enough interest to do it but the thing is we see it all the time now the world in which we live in the the overhead of creating a digital cinematic master and a a whole dcp package is a few thousand dollars right considering then like you know you go back to when you had to put everything onto print and film stock the overheads of releasing films was dramatically higher and that's when, you know, you would only get a film in the States for like maybe 50 or 60 or 100 screens because um, they couldn't physically afford to get the printer. And the distributors didn't think it was worth gambling that kind of overhead. Now it's a digital file. It's being created. It could literally right now be sat on Kathleen Kennedy's hard drive for we know. And then she could just send it over to the cinemas and they can hit enter in the, the, the key and hit play at a specific time and date. So it doesn't necessarily, and I'm a little bit oversimplifying it, but it's the, the overheads aren't particularly massive. I've booked in to see Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 almost every Christmas now. I go and see Die Hard at a cinema. So one of them's shown it, be it Odeon or Silly World and stuff. The cinemas would go, well, yeah, you know, if it's only on for maybe one weekend or something, and it's only on in one screen four times, that will bring maybe two or three or 400 people across that weekend who might not necessarily go to cinema that weekend. And therefore, they buy their drinks, they buy their popcorn and their sweets from there. That's where the cinemas make the money. They don't really make it on ticket sales these days, not in in any kind of massive amount. And I think for us, as Star Wars fans, when Star Wars is at cinema, it's a time to celebrate. Even if it's not the most beloved of Star Wars films. I think we've kind of recently got into the habit of being used to seeing Star Wars films, uh, the OT anyway, on big screen because it's been you know they do drive through theaters we've seen it at the um royal albert hall for live in concert and stuff like that yeah. but actually there hasn't been that really for the prequel trilogy and whether or not that has been a demand for that they've been holding it back to kind of create a bit of a demand so that actually they could do something like this for its 25th anniversary that's not necessarily a bad thing so hopefully if there's time because i'm meant to be at the national space center that weekend and it gets released at a cinema close to leicester i'll be there 
prequel trilogy has been reappraised yeah. and the current crop of fans who are mega passionate into it at the moment loving everything that's coming out as you should you want to you want to love it you want to go in wanting to like it and it's perfectly fine to be critical that's there's never an issue with yeah, being yeah. critical if yeah. you've got a, you can back up your thought processes i think those people a lot of whom will have been either not born or too young to see they it never never seen it in the cinema the same Precisely. way I, like i never saw the ot until special editions came out and this feels like i mean it is i mean that that was yeah. 20 years after this is 25 years after you know, you just mentioned the Star Wars in concerts. You have Star Wars Empire and Jedi. On the continent in Germany, they're doing, they've gone straight to Force Awakens. To me, what a massive missed opportunity not yeah. to at least get Phantom out there with that amazing score that so should have won the Oscar. Right. Yeah. The best score back in 99 or yeah. 2000 when the Oscars were just incredible. To see that with a lot of orchestra and all of them singing Jewel of the, the Fates. And the choir, yeah. And the choir would be phenomenal. Yeah. So I think they've massively missed a trick. And, and Star Wars has done this over the years. If you think back to 91 when they put Air to the Empire out and it was almost like a dippy toe in the water to see if anybody still gives a crap and it's number one on the bestsellers list for weeks and it's like, yeah. oh my goodness, people do still care. And that was a great acid test and that mm-hmm. set that whole book thing off, which is still rocketing along now, and everything else that followed. So you could argue that that was a real good little tester to see if the broader audience still cared and they did. And now it yeah. feels like this. It's like if this comes out, like you say, and, and it's over, let's say it's just on for a week. Because goodness knows when Jedi came out last year, that did pretty well for a 40 year old film that everyone, and blimey, people own that on VHS, Betamax, video disc, you name it, every, every version book, flick books. It's been there all the way through every format you could dream of. And still, it was packing out cinemas. We went to see it in Birmingham with a bunch of guys. It was, you know, Rebel Legion and UKG guys there in the foyer. It was the full thing. We all got given the poster and had an absolute ball because we haven't seen it on the big screen for a little while, picking out background stuff that you don't notice all the time. And there's the Tauntaun's head next to Hand in Carbonite. And there's the, the little dog walking along and they've extended the doors to Jabba's Palace. And there's the disappearing TIE fighters and the tennis shoe. You know, you're looking for all these yeah. little things. So I think going to see Phantom again, and I've not seen Phantom on the big screen for a long time. Probably yeah. since the 3D release in 2012. It, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. To go yeah. and see that again, especially if you could, if you're lucky enough to go and see it with a, a fan who's never seen it on the big screen. Just two things: Maul versus Ben and the Pod Race. They're the seat fillers. I do kind of get it because this is the thing: is that like you know when we go down to Prince Charles for the, the Bond films, it is like sometimes you go, they could have literally just popped in a Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like just downloaded it off of Apple because some of them are in 4K, but it isn't massively different. You know, there, there isn't like special scenes, it's, you know, other than the fact it's bigger and it's louder. And But it's where Star Wars is meant to be viewed. That's the whole point of this kind of entertainment. I mean, I know we're getting biggest TVs and stuff and I work in TV and I'm a big proponent for decent uh, viewing experiences at home however if you gave them a choice of saying mark do you want to see star wars at cinema or you could watch on disney plus i'd be like go and get some food before with the missus or something with your friends go and watch a film enjoy your popcorn thank you mr skyhawker for another brilliant question and uh if you want to be like mr skyhawker and ask us one or two or several questions and mr newbold can tell you how you can get in touch if you want to be part of the action, 
visit fanthatracks.com or be sure to comment, like and share on our social media feeds at Fanthatracks. Send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com. Subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Temple for composing the Fanthatracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Tune in to Good Morning Tattooing. It's live Sunday evenings, 9 o'clock UK, 4pm Eastern, 1pm Pacific, on Facebook, YouTube and Twitch. And check out our Fanthatracks radio Friday night rotation every Friday at 7 o'clock UK time. For new episodes of The Phantom Down Under, Planet Layer, Desert Planet Discs, Start Your Engines, Collecting Tracks, Can of Fodder, and special episodes of Making Tracks, and every Tuesday at 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks. And remember, Phantatracks.com, our social media feeds, Phantatracks TV and Phantatracks Radio are absolutely So no Patreon, buy me a coffee, Kickstarter or Indiegogo required to stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news. And that's me done for this episode. Brilliant, mate. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay safe, have fun, and may the Force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks.